Welcome back to I Was Hornswoggled, waking up from a narcissist-induced nightmare. This is episode 29. We're going to be talking about abandonment, and it is January 2nd, 2022. I am back from having multiple plagues, and I can actually talk now without coughing my head off and laugh without coughing my head off. I still wheeze. I still sound like a wheezing um, goofball when I laugh, and that's fine. I'll take that instead of coughing my head off. So it has made um, podcasting really hard and communication in general without everybody giving you the stink eye pretty hard. So I'm so happy to be able to get back in business. So I had, I, I had like two weird sicknesses, one that felt like COVID and one that felt like the flu, but I don't know. It was what it is. I survived. I'm on the other side. My family, we all took turns passing it to one another and we are all pretty much on the mend. So with that being said, I am happy to be back and I hope you all are doing well in your new year. It is all of our snow melted. It is super rainy out now, gloomy and rainy. So I'm making sure to take some extra vitamin D and it's not medical advice. I'm just going to say, but I did hear where you should take vitamin D3 with K2 because the two work good hand in hand and all that stuff. I think it has something to do with the distribution of plaque in your veins. Like it's supposed to not allow it to build up. But like I said, this is not medical advice. I just want to pass on a helpful tip that I did not know and I was so happy when I found out. So take that information and do what you will with it and we shall be moving on. So I welcome you back to my podcast journal where I share my awakening from narcissist-induced nightmare. Hornswoggle means to trick or be deceived by someone. And as you know, if you listen to the past episodes, I have been tricked by those that I've trusted the most. I have decided to share my experience in order to offer support to others who are going through the same thing that my, that my family and I are, and the content I have found surrounding narcissistic abuse by professionals, fellow survivors has brought me so much comfort in knowing that we are not alone. So this podcast is meant to share my personal experiences, information I have found helpful, voices from others that have also gone through similar situations, and I also link the sources so you can check them out on your own. And share, I also like to share my feelings as I unpack this huge blow, as well as the content that's helped me to find answers. So we are going to be making sense in the first portion of the show. We, it's called making sense where I go and do a deep dive. I find some resources and that, um, from professionals that touch on these topics. And then my journey so far covers my personal experience. And I've added a new part to the show where we go to Reddit for some validation and, um, for some inspiration because it's always so helpful when you are navigating this abuse and these attacks, you often feel like you are experiencing this stuff alone 
And what you'll quickly realize is that you're not alone. You just feel alone because it's terrifying to talk to uh, anyone about this. And plus, let's be honest, by the time you figure out you're being abused, especially by a covert, they've already went behind your back and burned every bridge possible. And that makes it even harder for anyone to be able to seek camaraderie, to seek um, comfort, friendship. You have to literally strike out and make new friends and new connections. And that's where I'm at, too, because, you know, when my mom went through and just, like, burnt every bridge that we had socially that we let her into our world, and then she just went at it, and the people that didn't know how she was believe everything. That's what they do. They, they create flying monkeys people who uh, will cheer them on and and believe what they are laying down. So um, I just figured it was easier to start over and, you know, cut my losses. So and then with the exit of my sister, me realizing that she is still so much like my mom and under the thumb of my mom um, and that my husband refers to as a double agent, uh, we figured out because you know, so much, uh, drama that still was being like creeping into my world through my, with my mom was actually, I believe tied to the fact that my sister was in my life because the minute I cut her out too, I've had zero drama, none. It's been really peaceful. I didn't have random visits from my mom, uh, didn't random drive bys, all this stuff. So my sister, from what I can see, the I know correlation doesn't equal causation, but the pattern's there. You know, I went a whole year having random drop-ins, random drive-bys. My sister acting super sketchy. It was almost like she was psychic and knew my mom was on the way. And she'd be really jittery and stuff. And it was I feel like it was the stress of her being a double agent. She didn't, it wasn't sitting right with her soul and it was being projected outward. And I could, you know, I, once I saw her for who she was and I could not trust her, I just had to kind of gently set her aside and wish her well. So that's where I'm at. And it's really hard to connect and meet new people, but it has to be done. Uh, if you want to rebuild and find new friendships that you can trust them and so on and so forth. So I have added the Reddit uh, spot to kind of help let myself and my listeners know we are not alone. There are people going through the same stuff that we are, okay? So without my rambling, let's dive into making sense of abandonment. Alright, so making sense of abandonment. So by definition, abandonment means to to abandon, means to leave or desert someone, either physically or emotionally. The word is typically used in the context of narcissistic abuse when referring to childhood desertion from primary caregivers or another key connection where stable and continual dependence is legitimate expectation. Uh, This can also bleed over into marriages, long-term relationships, stuff like that, where you just come to expect a continual dependency or a back and forth of a mutual friendship. 
So the confusing part of a narcissistic cycle of abandonment and return is discussed in an article on Psych Central and um, I will get the, I'm going to look, I'm looking at it right now and it was a medically reviewed by Scientific Advisory Board by Christine Hammond, MSLMHC, on January 27, 2008. But the article itself is titled, The Confusing Narcissistic Cycle of Abandonment and Return. So it starts out by telling like a narration of a couple. So I'll share that first. It says, I never want to see you again. Mary shouted to her husband as she slammed the door on the way out. Adam stood still, wondering if she would immediately turn around, as she had so many times, before or if she would dramatically wait. Either way, he was no longer going to nervously run after her, text her, obsessively begging for her, return or call her mother crying about her departure. This time was going to be different. It had been a steep learning curve. First, he decided that she was a narcissist. Then he unveiled her abusive tactics. And now he was no longer responding to her out of a state of desperation. He finally realized that he was not responsible for her behavior, no matter how many times or ways she blamed him. It took a while to discover her cycle of manipulatively abandoning him. Marie did this to generate intense anxiety, panic, and fear in Adam that she would leave. Once she had him wound up, she knew that Adam would what Adam would do, say, or admit to just about anything to get her to come back. This way, Marie would not have to reflect on her own insecurities and instead generated self-doubt in Adam. So as you just listen to like an awakening dialogue or a narrative, we're going to dive deeper with the narcissistic abandonment cycle. And it normally starts out with the narcissist being ashamed. The narcissist first experiences shame. So shame may be associated with past childhood maltreatment, the financial status of their family, a humiliating incident, or being revealed as a fraud, failure, or an inept person. In any case, the guilt strikes at the heart of their ingrained fear, forcing them to cover it up right away. Like, right away. And then they avoid and they depart. So the, ni the narcissist shies away from any connection out of concern for further exposure. So they immediately are ashamed for whatever reason. That's the trigger point. And then in order to avoid, they will depart. They will get away from it like, ew, and then run uh, to avoid any connection to it and any further exposure. Refusing to turn to a loved one under such circumstances for solace or sympathy. Instead, they will attack the person who is most likely to be a supporter vocally. Any opposition or unease is met by the narcissist's departure. And then they also do it because they, they too, uh, they fear being abandoned. So you feel like that's like wiping before you poop, right? You're like, if you feel 
our fear is so afraid of being abandoned. Why are you constantly abandoning the person in this relationship? But the narcissist shies away from any connection out of concern for further exposure. Refusing. Oh, I've already gone through that part. Sorry. They, The narcissist, even if it is just for a short while, the narcissist abruptly recognizes that their leaving will just cause more problems. They will no longer get the person's attention, their affirmation, their affection and praise on a daily basis. There is no humiliation left. Like this, the narcissist will look beyond any shame because they are afraid of being abandoned by the other person. And then they promises and returns. There's somewhat of a spectacular entry when the narcissist shows up. So, like they in turn a fear of being abandoned. They are very shame based in their in their approach to everything in life because they're so afraid that one people will find out who they really are. And their internal dialogue does all kinds of, um, like shame in general and, but their actions don't line up with their inner shame. They almost defend their own honor, but in reality, it's all shame based because they can't be wrong. They can never be wrong. So they will distance themselves from any sort of wrongness to any extent if they are being caught they will just deny 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 inside and outside of them and then but while they're in the cycle they can't just run away forever because that also brings shame because they know that there's that little element that they that the person they're abandoning might not receive them upon their glorious return and that terrifies them so they do put out promises and many returns because there is somewhat of a spectacular entry when the narcissist shows up. Typically, the exchange starts with, I hope you're sorry for what you did or said. The dialogue is turned to focus on the other person's conduct rather than the narcissist's behavior, the narcissist's anxieties, or the narcissist's insecurities. They will immediately, in order to distance themselves from any wrongdoing, they will immediately project their wrongdoing out onto their closest target, their victim. That is why when you are in a fight with a narcissist, they're constantly doing what I call doing the dance. They will dance away. They will dance away from anything that has to do with them being wrong and they will constantly spin it back around so that it, sh it lands on you. And I've also noticed that this is when they go back and they go back in their files and they will throw anything totally unrelated at you. You could be in an argument about how they threw a glass of water in your face. They overreacted. They got mad at your perceived tone. They throw a glass of water in your face. So now you're arguing about how that was rude, how that was uncalled for. And then they will pull out something from five, ten years ago and go, remember when you looked at me funny while we were at the restaurant and I asked you why and you started fighting with me. Remember that? You know, like they will just pull anything that you have, anything that you have further in the past 
done and dealt with and you thought you tied it up you apologize you put a pretty bow on it and you sent it away never to talk about it again not with a narcissist they will do anything they can to try to stack the game against you but these are all things that you've already talked about and things you've already been made to apologize for they will still no they will they will reject your apologies that's what you will say see in the world too is when you have a lot of um like the people who demand apologies from people publicly and then the person apologizes the narcissists will not even accept that they won't accept that they will demand you apologize but then once you apologize it's still not good enough that's narcissistic that's what they do that's part of their mo that's why all these public apologies one you know the person's only apologizing to save face and two no they you know that the apology is never going to be accepted by the party demanding it so it all needs to just be ignored in my opinion i just ignore it all because it's all phony and fake so the promises and returns is the narcissist also asks for an apology from the other person and then half-heartedly displays a very small bit of regret while making lofty future promises so they know the closer they get to you seeing who they really are they will offer up little teeny tiny apologies and it'll normally sound like the cliche i'm sorry if you're sorry are you sorry if you're sorry i'm sorry they won't offer up an i'm sorry a 100 percent value they will do it on the heels of forcing you to apologize and then they will just and, and then you don't really feel like that's honest because it wasn't it wasn't organic your apology wasn't organic because you're being forced to apologize for something you had nothing to do with and then they won't fully lean in to what they did wrong they just try to brush it under the rug and keep trucking so the hopeful spouse unfortunately if they aren't aware that the narcissist has you know a pattern yet they might not realize it and they might still be playing the game that the narcissist wants them to play it's like dance monkey you know like those cartoons way back uh, they would i think it was like little western cartoons and they would show like um i don't know like a cowboy character shooting like a pea gun like a little pea shooter slingshot thing at the feet of the other opposing character and being like dance dance monkey and they would say that and they're yeah it just, that's the picture that always pops into my head is that the narcissist or just like a puppet you know dance dance puppet dance you know they they will make you dance and play their game but the minute their mask starts to slip and the minute you start to wake up from their nightmare you start questioning stuff and you start not feeling so apt to apologize you just start caring less and caring less and caring less and getting tougher your heart gets hardened and you start intaking less of their bs but if you're more of a weak or a caring person or i say weak in the way that they've beaten you down that you've already slipped to the point where you feel like you've lost your identity that happens people lose themselves in these toxic relationships and it becomes very very bad uh, you find yourself in a very hard place where you feel like you're so weak you can't fight your way out but yet you know you need to escape at some point 
So the hopeful spouse, unfortunately, when a tiny apology is offered together with costly, with costly presents, grandiose ambitions, and impressive words, the recipient frequently eats it all. So they know that they can just give you a teeny apology, but if they buy you stuff and make these grandiose apologies, and I had an ex that did that too, but I'll talk about that in the my journey so far. So that is how they suck their target back in. They, but that only works to be honest for people whose love language happens to be objects. It might work in a 50 50 situation if somebody's love language is not objects. So obviously it wouldn't work on me. I don't, my, my, um, connection with people doesn't happen with objects or like grandiose things, but I don't know if that's just because I have seen through this my entire life and it just comes across as like when I know when I'm trying to be, I know when I'm, someone's trying to manipulate me by that way. Like they do something bad, they apologize and then they try to buy you something to make you like them again. Like that's not good. And I've seen through that forever. So, and I think it's always been the cliche and even like uh, sitcoms and stuff when they have their serious episodes, you know, and you'll see like the alcoholic, abusive uh, person in the relationship have um, attacked the other person and then they leave. And once they've sobered up, they would always come back with like flowers and jewelry. And it was just like this toxic cycle. It's very much the same way with with like really overtly narcissistic people. But even these coverts too, they know they need you to feed, to feed on and to get their supply. But they also, it's, that's why it feels like such a love hate relationship. It's just very much come here, go away, come here, go away, come here, go away. And you are just made to, it's very much like a crocodile when it cra when it latches onto its, its prey, it pulls it under the water and spins to one, weaken its target and make them easier to consume their prey. To me, narcissistic attacks are very much like this, but they release their victim just enough to let them swim and then they recapture them again. It's this very draining cycle. So the hopeful spouse elects them in, they get flattery, they get presents, they get a teeny tiny apology, and then the narcissist is like, good, they're locked and loaded and ready for a new cycle when I need to. So due to the complex expression, the spouse mistakenly thinks that the abusive pattern won't reoccur and overlooks the prior misconduct. And that's what I'm going on about. They, when you're in the middle of the cycle, you don't realize, you think, okay, good. We just conquered a new situation. We are moving forward. This won't happen again. We're both on the same page. No punny is going to happen again. If you're in a narcissistic relationship, chalk it down, put another peg in your belt. It's going to happen again. Okay. It's a breadcrumb of disaster. So repeating patterns, it will not be long until the cycle is repeated. While some narcissists nearly unintentionally engage in this loop, others do it purposefully. So some narcissists are not even 
aware of their own toxic patterns and some of them know that this is exactly how they wear down their victims and the benefit of the narcissist appearing wonderful after masking their guilt becomes a helpful weapon even when it is done in or without malice they will undoubtedly continue doing it because it feeds their ego and in a short period of time we go back to Mary to Marie and Adam after Marie does her outburst her leaving how dare you clutches her pearls and leaves in a big fit this is going to happen over and over and over again then Marie comes crawling back to Adam she was hoping he would apologize first but he didn't. Instead, he remained silent until Marie's patience ran out and she again erupted. And that's because Marie learned that in the past that she could spin around on her heels, clutch her pearls, run off dramatically, throw these little pity party cry fests, and Adam would come to her side, oh Marie, I'm so sorry for how I've treated you. And Marie would just eat it up. And you know what? That worked for a while until Adam woke up and was like, yeah, I'm starting to see a pattern here. This is never going to change. All of your little temper tantrums, your little pity parties, your little drama pearl clutching events running off to, to garner sympathy and to bring me closer in and make me feel like absolute crap is just a toxic pattern and I'm done. That's what happened to Adam. And it doesn't have to be a man or a woman. It's just narcissists versus their victims the, in this story in this dialogue it happens to be marie is the narcissist and adam is the victim marie leaves the room after realizing that this situation had changed and her strategies were ineffective she pretended nothing had occurred the following day ding 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 sound familiar this is what narcissists do they will throw their temper tantrum they will go away if they get positive feedback or negative they don't care that's supply to them if you run after them and kiss their butt and try to beg them to come back they love it if you fight with them and and victimize them and make them feel less than they will play that victim card in a heartbeat and they love that supply too what adam did was what many call going gray rock what i call is taking the the straw out of your cup and giving it back to them no longer can they suck the life out of you you realize what was going on you hand back the straw and you just stand there and you gray rock them you give them nothing you give them nothing positive you give them nothing negative and what happened they come back and they will pretend like nothing ever happened because they didn't get the reaction they wanted and it's confusing to them so now they're regrouping then they will just and if you try to bring that up to them good luck they will just they will just try to wiggle right out of it and act like it never happened because it brings them shame it brings us shame this embarrassment and that narcissists hate to feel that they are somehow less than and that they lost anything so we're gonna be moving into my journey so far all right my journey so far my experiences with abandonment and these come here go away come here go away scenarios these little guilt trips with narcissists in my past 
it's always interesting when you come out on the other side of narcissistic abuse and now you know that everything you experienced through life had a name and you started making sense of so many situations that in the in the past you knew was bunk you knew it was uncalled for you knew it was not okay but yet there you were and going through it and you just didn't know why it was so wacky like what is going on what is wrong with these people well now you know there's a pattern and there's a name so one of the first situations i remember having with uh someone i was dating is there both of their names are so common that i could use them and like half of the population has this name but one gentleman's name was Mark. There's five gazillion Marks in the world, so whatever. It was Mark. And he was a couple years older than me. And I noticed he was the one that I referenced a couple episodes in the way in the past, I believe, where he accidentally butt dialed me and I heard him triangulating with his new uh, co-driver because he drove a uh, truck. And it was like day trips. It wasn't like gone for weeks. So, and he had a new co-driver and it was a woman who was like older than him. And I heard him smack talking me to her, making up a bunch of crap about me. It literally wasn't true. And I just sat there and listened to it. And it was such a blessing to hear. But at that point, I didn't know what triangulation was. I just knew he was being two-faced and I'm not buying what he's selling. So I broke up with him immediately. Well, this started the pattern of come here, go away, come here, go away. The abandonment, the devalue, value, devalue, value. It was such uh, a pattern, but something inside of me must have probably the childhood and watching this stuff happen with my parents on and off. I knew that that was not something I wanted in my life. So whenever I started to witness it and I started to wise up to the cycle and the pattern, it was really easy for me to just kick him to the curve and move on. But during the cycle, this is when I kicked him to the curve for good was once I heard it with my own ears and I realized this guy was two-faced and I was like, yeah, there's plenty of other awesome people out there and I'm not going to waste my time with this wacko, wackadoodle. So I abandoned, I, I broke up with him and what did that really ticked him off? And because I abandoned him, I in some way said, you are not valuable to me and that hurt his ego. So what he would do is park his truck at the end of my driveway and I was still living at home at the time because I was working and going to cosmetology school and I was in my I think I was like 1920 around there and he would he would park his truck and try to trap me in my house you know and that's fine and dandy you know until the, the parents are like what no thanks you know um, so he was like, he thought like it was romantic to try to trap me at my home, like this big grandiose, look at me, I will fuse to leave until you come out and talk to me. No, no, go talk to your little lady friend that you're working with and smack talk me all you want. I, I, I'm on to you. I'm on to you. Well then, when, since that didn't work, cause I gray rocked, I was like, nope, 
I'm not going out there. I'm not going to tell him to leave. I ignored him. If he wanted to sit there and tell someone else told him to leave, fine. But I ignored him because I knew that's what he wanted. It made sense. So then I would come out of work because I was also working two jobs while I was going to cosmetology school. He would go to one of my places of work and he would scatter flowers all over. So like trying to force me to talk to him by locking me in my driveway didn't work. So now he's like, oh, I must I must love bomb her now. So he put flowers all over my car, which to me was like, really? Now you just put flowers all over my car. I got to take all this stuff off before I can go home. It was weird. That stuff does not impress me. <laughs> like, whatever. Uh, it was creepy. Like, what am I supposed to do? Oh, this guy, He's he was smack talking me to this coworker. Now he bought flowers for me. It's all forgiven. Sorry, not an airhead. Not a shallow individual. This means nothing. You're just really annoying and creepy and abusive. Carry on. So then he would make the weird phone calls, um, the little appointments at my cosmetology school under fake names, and then try to look like it was like he got all of his um, relationship advice from like movies, some like 80s, 90s movies where this corny crap would actually work on people. And that was just so that they could, you know, make the movie have a beginning, middle and an end. And then we didn't realize that this stuff does not work to um, people who are have any amount of depth to them. It's easy to see through and it's not flattering. It's weird. OK, so, you know, that didn't work. <laughs> so <laughs> It was this constant once I realized who I was dealing with, just like Adam in the previous story, I'm just like, no, I'm done. None of your song and dance is going to work. I'm on to you. I see what you've done and I'm not playing into your games. And that's what the narcissist will do. They will try anything to get you back because if you are rejecting them, they don't like it. If you're rejecting them, they don't like it. It hurts their ego. It hurts them and they can't live with the shame shame so they will try to force themselves on you and then i'll tell you the sick twist if you buy what they're selling they'll abandon you yet again it just keeps the cycle going it's really gross so as i got older this continued to happen i had another because they say even you can attract narcissists uh, without knowing if you were raised around narcissists because you have been trained to put up with narcissistic crap. So you're a nice cozy home for other narcissists until you're not, until you realize the patterns of narcissism and distance yourself like a person peeing would distance himself from electrical funds. <laughs> you know, it's these type of things. So I had the situation with another uh, boyfriend a couple years later named Dave, yet again, really common name. So he would do these grandiose things to play head games. So this was after I graduated. Now I have a job in a salon. Um, I moved out, got an apartment, and then Dave moved in with me. And then Dave started playing these games where he would tell me that I couldn't go out with my friends to anywhere. I couldn't go with my best friend to a movie. I couldn't go with my best friend out to lunch. I couldn't do anything. Everything I did had to be done with him. That's what he thought I was going to live with. Well, thankfully, I have um, a healthy rebellion to controlling people, probably because I was raised around it and decided I didn't want this for myself. So I would go, nope, I'm going to do it anyways. And what he would do was throw these grandiose, um, these 
temper tantrums and he would try to like cut me down he would try to um he one time I came home he's like you cannot I'm like I'm going to Applebee's no you're not yes I am I told my friend that I'm gonna meet her there and we're gonna have lunch no you're not I'm doing it after work that's where I'm going you can join us if you want but I'm not coming home after work I'm going to go on my lunch break and then I'm going back to work and he got so pissed that I had ulterior plans and I was not you know doing what he wanted me to do when he wanted me to do it so what he would do is I would come home from work and God only knows what I would find would I find a happy version of Dave or an evil version of Dave? So one time he decided that he had, he was very grandiose in his behavior. He had bagged up all of his clothes and put it all over the couch. And he was sitting in darkness because it must have been winter. Because I remember when I got out of work, it was dark and I came home. And he was sitting in darkness and I turned on the apartment light. And there there's a sulking Man, he was like, he was pretty tall. He was in like 6'5", and I'm not that tall. I was like 5'11"-ish. And so he was a pretty tall guy sitting on this couch having a glorious pity party for, I don't know how long he was sitting there in the dark with all of his bagged up clothes. Seemed really sketchy to me. And I walk in and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> sitting in the dark with a bunch of clothes. He's like, I'm waiting for you to come home because I'm leaving. I said, then why didn't you leave? Why didn't you leave? And this was when I already started catching on to his cycles of abuse. And he's like, well, I was waiting for you to get home from work so I could propose to you. And you never came. And I said, I told you that I wasn't coming home from lunch. I was going to go right back to work. And then I'm coming home. I had plans to propose to you on your lunch break. And I'm like, oh, sure you did. Because that's <laughs> so really, yeah. That's what every woman or man, that's what everyone wants is a speed proposal on their lunch break. Yep, bull crap. I call bull crap. So he tried to give me the song and dance of, oh, how dare I? I abandoned him and his whole plans. I said, well, if that was true, this is when I started waking up and seeing a pattern. So if that's true, where's the ring then? Where's this ring that you're going to, I got so mad at you, I threw it over the balcony. Oh, okay. Okay, sure you did. <laughs> this, what, I don't know how stupid Dave thought I was, but I was not that stupid. I said, well, if that's the case, what? well, I guess it's not going to happen then because you bought a ring and threw it over the balcony. Uh, okay, then. Well, what are you going to do with all of your clothes, you know? And then all of a sudden, he, he leaves like they do. He had been caught. He had to now do another grandiose exit. I'm leaving. All right, have a nice day. Bye. You know, this was happened. This would escalate to the point where he would punch holes in the wall. If I didn't give him a reaction, I slowly just started to gray rock him. And uh, this, this kind of stuff lasted. Uh, this was just in the beginning. Couldn't shake him. Oh, he ended up getting hurt at work. And then he like leached onto me even more. And I remember one time he was trying to fight with me while I was driving. And this was towards the end of our relationship. And he's like, if you don't, if you don't turn and look at me, I'm like, I'm driving a car. I can't just turn and look at you. If you don't look at me, I'm going to jump from the vehicle. And I hit my foot on gas. I said, go, do what you got to do. I'm not turning. I'm not looking at you. Bye. Have a nice day. I was done when I was done. So you will get to your point in a toxic, abusive relationship 
where these toxic narcissists will turn you into somebody you normally wouldn't be because it's just you're just trying to escape. You're just trying to leave. They're just trying to suck any little bit of value that they feel like they have. Any little bit of control that they feel like they have over you. They're trying to suck it out of you. And the best thing you can do is take the straw out of your happiness life. Your little, your little body. They have this little straw sucked into you. Take it out. Hand it back and walk away. Don't give them the reaction. Don't play. Don't engage. Don't let your ego take over. Do not engage. Walk away, regain your identity, regain your happiness. You will be lacking in the drama, all this stuff. They will do guilt trips on top of guilt trips on top of manipulation to keep you locked and loaded until they're done feeding on you and they find a new supply and then you won't hear from them until they that new supply figured out their game and leaves them. This leads me to weird. Um, so being that I had a pattern and experience with this abandonment, this leads me to as I got older uh, before I realized my mom would had the cycle with me and my family she would do the same thing she would come over to my house she would look like she had a horrible day if I even asked her I was like what's wrong you look like you've had a really bad day if I even said that to her it would trigger her and she would go off on me yelling at me telling me how rude I was for asking her how her day was all this stuff and I didn't realize, I just knew that it wasn't okay. And I knew that it was really toxic and abusive, especially that I was a grown woman and had a family and she was just coming over and pouring down this um, instant starting fights with me. I just knew that my parents were just there to fight with me all the time. And I just never knew if that visit was going to be a fight or if it was going to be a nice visit. I never knew. And now knowing what I know, it was all by design. This is how she's wired. And it was never going to be anything different. And one of the warning signs with my sister and why I decided to go no contact with her is she slowly started doing the same stuff where she would, if I didn't call her back right away, she would try to guilt trip me. Or try to um, ignore me. Like if she called me and I didn't answer right away, I would call her back as soon as I could. And then she would kind of give me that snide, snarky, like, oh, okay, I called you earlier, but you didn't answer. That weird kind of condescending stuff. And, I, and now on the hindsight, I went through, you know, this weird abuse cycle with dating people. I was raised with it with my mom, but now knowing what I know and seeing these patterns with my own sister, and it makes sense because she's, oh, she's the one that, the golden more or less, that was the golden for a longer period of time because she was also the one who lived with her in her adult life and I got out as soon as possible. So I had, was not under the influence of my mother as long as my sister. And um, she would say stuff like, oh, um, I almost, I choked on an almond and I couldn't get a hold of anyone. And, and like, if I didn't talk to her for like a day or two, she would tell me all this stuff about how she breathed in soap in the shower and almost suffocated and it terrifies her that 
nobody would know because she didn't talk to anyone and then one time I didn't talk to her and all of a sudden it terrified her that she's like well since I last talked to you I choked on an almond and so she would tell me like all these weird like guilt trips of like I didn't call her and she was alone and she could have died and I wouldn't have known kind of weird stuff like that and she would tell me a lot of these pity party stories and I started to be like this is weird okay for one you have a 14 year old son living with you and you're two trailers down from her mother <laughs> I'm not if anyone I'm the one that's more out in a um isolated in ways than she was I'm like what are you doing so I started to catch on to the pattern of um like a silence she wouldn't call me like she would call me I wouldn't call her back until I had time then I would call her back and she wouldn't call me back and then when I did talk to her she would give me some guilt trip of like what had happened to her while I and her were not speaking for like a day or two and I was like this is weird so it started to get weirder and weirder and weirder until our last fallout was when she went off on me on the phone and uh because she because I said she said um what have you been up to and after she ranted about her friends and her son and everybody that was pissing her off had the audacity and then she goes well how are you doing I'm like oh fine you know I've had um one of the kids is sick and my husband you know so I told her that my husband was sick and that I was but we're all getting better now and she said oh I figured something was going on I was like, well, it's only been a day and nothing really is going on. I'm just also been, you know, catching up on the kids' homeschooling and stuff. And she would be like, I didn't mean it like that. I'm like, and then I thought, why are you getting so snappy with me for clarifying what I said? And then it just went south. And we have literally not spoken since then. On my birthday, she will still post happy birthday on my Facebook page that I don't use. So then on her birthday, I'll reciprocate that, but I don't do more and I don't do less. So yeah, so that's where that is now that I've learned. So my journey so far was being repeatedly abused and then kicking them to the curb when I would wake up just enough to escape. Then realizing my whole life was a cycle with my mother and then taking what I've learned and distancing myself from my sister because she's not doing the work to not she's not doing the work to unwire the narcissistic the narcissist training on her she's just leaning in and keeping the cycle going and i think the best thing we can do is not have a victim mentality over our journey yes our journey may have sucked yeah it was unfair yeah we didn't deserve it am i going to let it define me no i'm going to use every ounce of narcissistic abuse that was ever put on me and I'm going to use it and turn it into knowledge. I'm going to build a beautiful map with all the little places on the map marked with X's. Do not go here. Do not go here. And I'm going to apply that to my life. And if that means that I have to come across as a jerk because I recognize when somebody is forcing themselves over my boundaries, I'll do it. I'll have to do it because I need to take my lessons and turn them into action. And I recommend each of you do the same. Re 
change your perception of your situation and see, yeah, it sucked. Yeah, you were treated badly. Do you need to stay down on the ground, knocked out and controlled? No. Can you rise above it? Can you take these lemons and turn it into lemonade? Yes. Can you take these, the abuse and turn it into lessons? Yes. Can you take those, the, the cliche, can you take those bricks chucked at you and build a nice, beautiful kingdom wall? Yes, you can. Okay. We can approach these situations in multiple ways. And for me, I choose to use it as knowledge bricks to build a beautiful kingdom wall. And, you know, sometimes you have to build people out of side of that wall. Sometimes you have to block them from entering and wish them well. You don't have to be mean about it, but hold your boundaries. Hold those boundaries. So that has been my journey so far with abandonment. It is a cycle until you realize it and then you stop that cycle. So, all right, now we're going to head over to Reddit for some validation and inspiration. I also wanted to add, after I got done recording this episode, I had some of my thoughts still floating around about the narcissist abandonment cycle. And then I'm like, oh, I got an unpublished episode and add this in because I realized that a lot of the abandonment cycles that I spoke of was of like relationship wise, you know, and one thing I think it's very important to realize is that not all narcissistic abuse happens in um, like relationships, uh, romantic relationships and marriage and dating. A lot of that happens. Like I did touch on my own kind of journey with my sister's abandonment cycle that was beginning and that with my mother's, but I also forgot to leave out just the abandonment signs that I have come to recognize um, in non-relationship, like non-romantic signs where, um, because we are in a social media, internet heavy society, sometimes you'll see the narcissistic cycles take place in, on the internet. And so some of the warning signs and the flags that I've noticed so far are, when someone on the internet seems like hot and cold or the minute you put down boundaries then they immediately abandon you so that is um what at the core of a narcissistic person's pattern i have found is that come here go away mentality and so this can be someone that came out really uh, sociable, wanting to talk, create a friendship, and then they'll ghost you. And they'll ghost you for like a day. Like there's normal ghosting that some people do when they're just, they got what they wanted from you and now they move on. Or for whatever reasons people ghost. If they were catfishing you and they got caught or whatever. Well, the ghosting that I'm referencing is you have um, interactions with people, non-romantic, but they want a uh, supply from you. So from a narcissistic standpoint, they want supply from you and you think that you're cultivating like a friendship. So what they'll do is they will just either sometimes just up 
and ghosts do. Like you won't hear from them. So like there was a pattern in their behavior. They might uh, say something. Hi, how's it going? They might message you and say something. Hello, how are you? And then you would talk for a couple days and then, or you could be talking to them straight for like months and then all of a sudden they disappear. And you see that they're active other places, but they have just given you the cold shoulder. Well, what they're doing, if they are indeed a person that has NPD, is they're testing their value with you. How valuable am I? I'm going to ignore them for a while. And if they come and chase back after me, I'm valuable. I am valuable to them. And then they almost take it like, okay, now that I'm valuable to them, (laughs) you know, and they'll do stuff like that. They'll unfriend you and then they sit back and they wait. If I'm really valuable to them, they'll notice that I've unfriended them. And then they'll come and they'll ask me why I've unfriended them. And then I'll get to feed. (laughs) It's like a creepy little wicked witch in my head. Um, Like a cartoon one. So it's very much like that. So there are these subtle little abandonment cycles that you will run into when you're on like social media or on the internet. Um, You'll have just random stuff, even in your real life, like even if it's like an acquaintance or a coworker and they'll sitting and eating lunch with you every day and then all of a sudden they decide, I don't want to sit with them. I've been sitting with them at the same table for like three months and all of a sudden they're over at a table by themselves. And you're like, what happened? What did I do? Did I do something? Did I say something? Did I stink? Did I, does my breast stink? Does what? You know? But so it's just, they're testing to see how much control they have over you and your happiness. So then you might feel inclined to go, hmm, well, why are you sitting over there? You should come sit with me over here. And then they'll be like, no, it's okay. I know. You know, it's, they're testing their value. It's all gameplay. They're playing freaking head games. And a lot of head games that you witness and you are a victim of in your adult life, as well as your, your, youth can be I'm not saying because people do this crap without being NPD like without having NPD they'll do this just to test their value to you as a form of a head game but if you already know that you're dealing with a narcissistic person or you're starting to see the warning signs you've gone down the checklist and the DSM-5 and they have like almost all nine I think it was like five to nine of the check marks. Yeah, you know, you might have someone with NPD on their hands and they very well are trying to test you. And what do I do in a situation like that? Let them go. If you want to unfriend me, unfriend me. If you want to sit over there, sit over there. You know, because at the end of the day, do you really want to make friends with someone who plays hot games? No. Does anything good come from someone who you can't truly trust on an equal level? Nope. You have to ask yourself these very valid questions. Is this something that you would do to someone else? Is this someone, is this some advice you would give? Would you tell someone, oh, if you want to see if they really like you, just run away and see if they chase you? I think it's just, I'm so burnt out on behavior like that just from growing up with a mother who did that crap to my dad all the time. Like my sister and I would joke growing up and even my dad that my mom would have a trail worn down in the grass where she would pick a fight with my dad 
go all the way out to the pole barn to pick a fight with him and stomp back. And my sister and I would be hiding in a tree above and looking down and watching this angry woman go there, pick a fight, expect my dad. And over the course of time, my dad, just like Adam in the beginning, just stopped caring. Because when you burn people out with your antics, with your drama, with your constant running away and seeing if you're being chased... It it gets so draining to the people around you to the point they just stop caring. And that's because you've sucked the life out of them and they no longer have anything. They have no Fs to give. That's where that meme comes from. No Fs to give. We all run out of Fs at some point. Okay? So, yeah. I just wanted to add that into the show because it dawned on me, um, okay, you've touched on a lot of different variations, but you haven't really talked about how people just do these quick ghosting maneuvers to reaffirm their self-value, their their value to you as a person. And to me, if people are going to play those head games, you know, in, in this, like Facebook, I remember when I was more active on Facebook, I would always see stuff saying, why do you always have to be the one to call people? Wait around and see if they'll call you. And I was like, that's really kind of sending weird signals, right? I mean, at the end of the day, if someone isn't calling you to hang out with you, it's not because they hate your guts. It could just be a normal person with a very busy life. They're not like openly trying to hurt your feelings or piss you off. But if this person has other toxic traits on top of this hot and cold, hot and cold, come here, go away. And you feel like you're always chasing them down and they're always running off and you're always expected to chase them down. Then that is when you have to start going, huh, am I dealing with something more than just a busy friend or a busy person? So don't always jump the gun and assume everybody has malicious intent. But on the same side, be very aware of patterns. Okay, do you remember a couple episodes ago, I mentioned the eyes of my mother whenever she would be um, empty, like needing to feed. I said that they were gray, they were kind of colorless, and she normally had like a hazily green eye, but when she was in like empty and she needed to feed like a creepy freaking energy vampire, she would look like a drowned rat with gray eyes. And when my mother was fed, she had plenty of supply, whether people were blowing smoke up her butt or whether she was picking fights with people and it was feeding her. She would have her hair done, her makeup on, her eyes were green and glowing and she was good to go. But if she didn't have someone that she could feed off from and start drama with or were constantly cheering her on and pampering her, she would look like a drowned rat. Her hair would not be done. It'd be stuck to her head. Like she took a shower and just never put a brush through it. And then her her eyes would be gray. Well, I'm not alone. And if you experience this, you may not be alone either. Because um, in the Narcissistic Abuse Reddit, there was actually a post that says, was there something weird about your narc's eyes? And they go on to say that sometimes his eyes look like glass balls and lacked depth lacked warmth or something and that's exactly what my mother's looked like and others chimed in and said yes not dead exactly but just kind of emptying a little glassy and that's exactly it 
Um, and then another class, they said, yes, glassy. And then a D Maddox uh, replied, well, I'll be damned. I was going to type this very thing, cold and glassy. Then I read your comment and you already typed it for me. Thank you. What's strange is that you all have the same examples as I do. I had no idea how common and typical their behaviors are. Is this something like Kubrick stare with a predatory expression on their face? Someone said. And then another person said, in my experience, it was near constant blank expression with these kind of flat and painted on doll eyes, always looking into the middle distance rather than what was in front of them. Also, my narcissistic ex seemed to really struggle with eye contact during certain times, especially during discussions, intimate relations, and during loving moments or just during arguments. Arguments, they would not make eye contact. And then Admiral Taco said, I have seen people with the thousand yard stare, but his made me feel uncomfortable. I never could say why it felt wrong. Other people still felt normal with that look. The primal part of my brain was picking up on something is just wrong. Definitely trust your instincts. And then Yoga Renan said, I looked into the eyes of one narcissist in my life and I said to him that it looked like he had the eyes of a warrior. Now I know I was looking at the eyes of a predator, 100%. Uh, then Lady Vaudeville said, I've always described them as shark eyes. You know how people will furrow their brow when they're angry? He did the opposite. His eyes will get big and they look like two black pits with no sign of life. And then Shh 86 said, OMG, this is how I describe my nexus eyes as well. Substantial Code said, this is exactly how I described my narcissistic ex during their narc rage, like staring into pitless black depths of a great white shark. And then False Antelope said, I actually now remember having described his eyes as shark eyes to him at the beginning of the relationship. I was thinking... He'd reject the idea at the time, but he actually didn't react at all. Turns out he liked sharks as a child. And then um, Crash Year said, they're darty, if that makes sense. Sort of wide-eyed, crazed at times, usually occurs when he feels slightly slighted or when he sees fat people, they said, even though he's not skinny, when he feels judgment or my favorite, when he is in the grocery store and feels offended that the store aisles are not organized in a way that personally is helpful to him. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so where else? Um, v Maria said it's called dead eyes. Also, when my ex would get mad or feel his control is being decreased, his eyes, yes, would literally turn steel gray from their usual brown. So there's more and more and more and more people. I just covered as many as I could in a row without just, you know, reaffirming the fact that yes, narcissistic eyes do change color when they are pissed off or they are not being fed. And to me, I personally know that there's like a spiritual link to it. Um, I try not to bring like my religious beliefs or my spiritual beliefs into the show. I think I've also, I was going to make a whole different narcissistic podcast regarding that, but I think I might just devote certain episodes and I'm going to call them lovers of self because whether religion is so weird because I'm so anti-religion now. I'm just more or less having a relationship with God, with my creator, because men, men, humans have created all of these religious systems around what was intended to be a relationship. In the very beginning, we were supposed to have a relationship with our creator, a friendship, a 
relationship, an amazing experience. And then everything went south. This is just my personal beliefs and I can literally only speak from that. So I don't like feeling like I have to hide from it, but I also don't want to feel like I'm pushing it down anybody's throat because everybody has different beliefs and believe me, I have gone through a lot of different stuff. I have checked out a lot of different avenues in life um, and I love many theologians and philosophers and life. I believe nobody really has all the answers, but I can only speak to what has saved me from the pits of all of this nightmarish behavior I've gone through. There's been only one relationship that has gotten me through it time and time again and that was my relationship with God and that is my God, um, the one in heaven. So you can worship any type of God or believe that God does not exist. But if you want to hear more about, I have found links, exact links to on a spiritual level, what these narcissists do, uh, there are direct links in the Bible. So I take it with what it is, but there are freaking direct links to um, furthering my lesson in it. And we are in the book of Revelations, it talks about an increased love of one's self. And the closer we get to the end of one chapter and into the other, it has been said we will, there will be an increase, an increasing growth of narcissism, the lovers of self. It has been foretold that people will just start loving themselves and loving others less. And if you are not, um, if you never read the book of Revelations in that regard, I'm just telling you that's what it said. And, and then, and then if I listen to amazing therapists like Dr. Romani, she has even said we are experiencing an epidemic of narcissism. So, and I don't think she is of the, I don't, I think she, I don't know if she's read Revelations before, but she is speaking from her own professional observations and she has seen an epidemic in narcissism and to me an epidemic in narcissism directly correlates with what I've read in Revelations is an increase of the lovers of self so to me I cannot ignore the pattern because me I see patterns in life super easy I believe that's one of my my strong suits is seeing a pattern of behavior. And I feel like that is how I always ended up getting myself out of these horrible situations sooner or later, because the patterns were so loud, I couldn't ignore them and I would just leave. So, and I think those closest to me, like my mom and my sister, I gave a little more wiggle room with, but if I wasn't directly related to them and had a heart link to them, they get less of a wiggle room with me because I've already been there, done that. This is not my first rodeo and I'm moving on. So, but I think I might just incorporate narcissistic discussions around a biblical standpoint in episodes titled Lovers of Self. And if you want to listen to them, go for it. If you don't, don't. I just feel as a, as a content creator, as a person who was personally saved from many situations and also um, a teaching that kept me from getting into the mud with the narcissist is that it came from my relationship with my creator. So I'm not going to hide my creator. I'm not going to be shamed 
um, from those who do not agree with me. But I, I call on you to respect my personal journey as much as I will respect yours. Because I do respect yours. And maybe I've also dabbled in yours. You just don't know. But I have landed where I've landed where um, I feel like I'm supposed to be. So um, let me know. Have you, do you have a different spiritual uh, connection that has brought you and saved you from getting into the mud with a narcissist? I think that there very well could be many paths to one destination. Just saying. So um, yeah, feel free to share that with me. And let, and I just want to let you know there's no judgment from where I'm at. I'm not a Bible thumpy and better than you peeing contest religious person. I'm not. I'm just a, um, a person who knows that I know that there is a creator and my relationship with them and my constant dialogue with them and my desire to emulate their teachings in the best way possible is why I am where I'm at. So let me know how you have escaped. That would be amazing for you to share. And you know, you can do that. I'll tell you all the ways you can do that on the other side of this ramble. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, so now that you have fully experienced episode 29, I will tell you how you can be a part of the show. In closing, I hope each episode I record helps someone, just at least one person, who may be going through a similar situation or know someone who has. It can be very discouraging to many because they feel guilty for airing the dirty deeds done by others, but we should never feel shamed into silence. I would also like to add that I also feel it is very important for us to not take on the identity of what is being done to us. We do not want to become the monsters that we are battling, but we should indeed it like help to identify as a person who is overcoming what was done to us as we grow closer to our true self and not the victim role our abuser wants us to be imprisoned in. We don't want to become that monster that we are trying to heal from and trying to battle off us. If you have a story of your own that you would like to share, you can email the show at Iwashornswoggled at gmail.com. You can tweet the show on Twitter at Hornswoggled Pod on Twitter. And you can head to Horn oh, I guess you could just head to cozypodcastnetwork.com and find that show and the other podcasts that I do. And also there's hornswogglepodcast.com and uh, hornswogglepodcast.wordpress.com. <laughs> there's multiple ways to find the show. And you can also, while you're there, leave a voicemail message, find the show notes, and listen to past episodes. Until next time, have a great day. Bye-bye. <laughs>